lot of brothers out there flaking and perpetrating, but scared to kick reality. Man, you've been doing all this dope producing. You ain't had a chance to show them what time it is. So what you want me to do? I'm expressing with my full capabilities And now I'm living in correctional facilities Cause some don't agree with how I do this I get straight and meditate like a Buddhist I'm dropping flavor, my behavior is hereditary But my technique is very necessary Blame it on Ice Cube Because he said it gets funky When you got a subject and a predicate Added on a Welcome back to Range Anxiety 30 years of automotive tuning experience in 30 minutes and this morning, I'm caught in a traffic jam. Yeah, there's been some big accident on the freeway. I was gonna go and record quietly today, but guess what? We're in the Model 3 performance. We're banked up bumper to bumper. It's gonna be a good half an hour before I can move. So let's talk about expressing ourselves. Some good news. Even though I've got a really noisy motorbike behind me, some single cylinder thumper thing, which you can probably hear. Good news. Our analytics show that we should be around the top 20 automotive podcasts in Australia right now. That's great news. I never expected this thing to catch on or be as popular as it is. And my intro. I was such a huge fan of NWA back in the day when that album came out straight out of Compton. I bought it. I bought a CD. Yeah, one of those things, kids. People don't even know what they are anymore. But yeah, I bought a CD. And I reckon it was, I listened to it till it was almost worn out till my mate Sammy Lau from Macau actually pinched it off me and then promptly moved back to Hong Kong. Yeah, and I lost it. Yep, thanks Sammy. But last time, or first time actually, in the modern era that I went, flew into LAX. This is a little story, this is a little aside. Why not? We can express ourselves here. I flew into LAX, we got a car. What's the first thing we did? Drove straight to Compton. It's real close. I wanted to check the hood out. Went through Compton, and the only time I got accosted was by some white bread cracker that had just knocked off at UPS and wanted to fight because he reckons we opened our car door into his car door. Our car was like a new Escalator, something that we'd hired, and his car was like a $2 Suzuki Sierra that he'd painted himself. And yeah, we didn't open our door into it, but he wanted a few hundred dollars. So I promptly told him, no. <laughs> and yeah, it all went from there. But yeah, that was one of the great things, you know, about America, you can just do whatever it is you wanna do and you can have fun doing it. So yeah, that's cool. Well today, even though I'm on a bumpy road and it's gonna be, the audio's gonna be terrible. Today, we're called Village Idiot. Yeah, and we're going to talk about one of my most hated things that no one ever listens to me about. And if you don't listen, bad luck. I don't know everything, but I do know some things. And I can tell you this. If your engine or your car comes with VCT, variable cam timing of any sort, and you remove it, then you're the village idiot. Yep. Yeah. Correct. Back in the day, let me tell you a story. You know, it was only Japanese import engines, I think, that came out with uh, um, variable cam timing. And I think Porsche, about the same time in the late 80s, they had Vario Cam, I think they called it. And they used an actuator on the inlet cam and they could advance or retard its position according to a map in the ECU and essentially make a shitload more torque than the engine was going to make. Now, we never believed this, so we would experiment. We would get these Falcons or Porsches or 
you know, Nissans of various types, and we would un- run, run the car on a dyno, get a picture of it, and then unplug the VCT actuator and rerun it. And every time, every single time, you lost a shitload of bottom end. You lost torque, you lost power, you lost everything that you need to make the car move down the road. Yeah, these engines were just expressing themselves. And then we would go the other way, we'd put a little controller on it, and we'd actuate the cam, lock it in one position, lock it in full extension, and run it again, and yeah, you would you would lose you would lose power either way. And normally the crossover point that the manufacturer has mapped the actual switchover or, or phase in, phase out point of the camshaft was bloody perfect. We used to use old Honda VTEC controllers to, to control this and experiment and see what the hell was going on. And yeah, you could never, or very, very rarely, under any circumstances, improve on what the manufacturer had done. Real world experiences. Well, when you've sort of been doing this stuff as long as I have, you tend to forget a lot of things. Oh yeah, look, the police have got some big SWAT thing going on right outside work on the other side of the road. They've all got their masks on. Good boys, you're respecting the COVID. Anyway, a real world experience. Not so long ago, when I was involved in some GDR stuff that I may not, or may or may not have agreed with the direction it was taking, we would uh, try and do anything we could. We had a car that was capable of low eight second passes and indeed it had done some eight second passes it was pretty cool it was pretty fast and one of the engine guys at the time decided to do a bit of machining and come up with because it had aftermarket big Kelford cams in it he came up with a way he came up he, he destroyed or modified a set of factory cam gears to make a set of fixed cam gears out of the variable pieces so yeah Sure enough, we put these things in the engine and we put it on the dyno and gave it a run. Now, on a chassis dyno, a big power GDR that's 1300 odd horsepower at the wheels, it's very, very hard to get an accurate picture of what it's doing down low. So, you know, they just sort of get on the dyno, they start to ramp, you've got to run them very fast to get traction and rock, boom, there's your power figure that runs over very, very quickly. And it's hard to get resolution and see what's going on low in the RPM range. Okay looked all right to me but i forgot everything that i taught myself over the years you don't mess with this stuff so we transported the car over to a drag meet and as those of you that know gdrs at, at, at the track will know you launch them at about depending on the setup you launch them at about 4500 rpm or so 5000 maybe and away they go they hook out of the hole they're up on the limiter, that build boost, brr, bang, out the hole they go. And if, if they don't snap the gearbox in half, then they do a really good job of getting down the track and pulling across that first 60 foot mark off the plate and normally run like, depending on how good you are and how good the, the, the tire is, a 1.5 or a 1.4 or a 1.3 in some instances, and off they go. Well, our car could always do this, but not this time. In fact, it would come up on the launch limiter, brrr, build boost, and they sort of go bang, 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 bang. Let it go, and it, brrr, 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 and it bulked. Hmm, what's going on here? So I had a look at the log, everything looked all right. We were running out of time. Oh dear, we'd only driven 750 kilometers to be at this track. 
with our new fixed cams on board. Oh, goodness gracious me, right? And I just did what I thought I had to do, and that's wind more and more and more launch RPM into it. In fact, to get this thing back into the one fives even for the 60 foot, that, that launch RPM went from, I think we used to run 4,500 RPM, went to about 7,500 RPM before it would actually step off the plate properly and go. But then that kind of messed up everything else. As the car was launching so high in the RPM, then it wouldn't, um, the, the, the time differential, you gotta pick second gear very quickly in these cars, that became really difficult and would confuse the transmission. So I thought about it and thought about it and looked at it and I thought, what the hell is going on here? And then it tweaked. Oh, we've removed all the bottom end, haven't we? We've locked the cams in position. Oh, goodness gracious me. Yeah, so that was a couple of days of my life wasted and the driver, he wasn't too happy either. But anyway, it was an experiment that went wrong, but it was an experiment that we should have never done. Hmm, righto. So sure enough, we, we got the car back, we pulled the front off the motor, um, we put the right cam timing system back in it and hey presto, she was all good to go again and this car went on and it went faster again and it was all good. But I hadn't learned my lesson or I'd forgotten because I allowed myself to be part of this bullshit that actually made this car slower. Yep, blame me to a degree. I didn't suggest it, I didn't recommend it, I didn't agree with it, but I made myself part of it. And that's the problem. When you tune cars for a living, if you even acknowledge by having the thing on the dyno, then you, my friend, are just as culpable and just as guilty as the person that came up with the harebrained idea in the first place. Yeah, that's right. So, let's wind forward to today. And I have a big American car in my possession. Yeah, big, heavy, yank tank. And it's got a V8 in it. It's a modern era thing. It's a 2014 car. It's got a modern era V8 and it's got VCT in it. And, you know, these things normally go all right. Not bad at all. It's 6.4 litre, if that gives you any clues as to what it might be. A 6.4 litre, and yeah, uh, it's shit. Why is it shit? Because someone had actually modified the cam timing system and removed the camshafts. Yeah, that's right. Removed the variable cam timing and put in fixed camshafts. I've just got to drive through the gate now, so I'll come back to you in a moment. So I'm all parked up nice and cosy now and nice and quiet away from the trucks. Unfortunately, it seems a pedestrian got run over up the road. Look both ways before you cross, kids. Otherwise, there will be big problems. So anyway, I've got this big yank tank here and it was God's own job to try and tune this thing. So they're not the easiest computers of old, the, the, the Chrysler G-Packs. However, I tend to because I'm a masochist, I tend to enjoy working with them from time to time. But not this one. You see, because not only did putting fixed cams in it rob this thing of a lot of uh, torque down low and a lot of efficiency, they also messed with the starting procedure because the car's mapped, or the engine's mapped factory to have the cams in a predetermined position to get the cat light off working properly. And cat light off is a procedure that most modern cars use to get the catalytic converters up to temp as fast as possible to 
pass the emission tests that we go through. Um, yeah, so all the pre-positioning was screwed because now these things were locked and making the thing start properly was even a problem. When it came in, it wouldn't even run, let alone idle. It would just cough, splutter and die. So I got this thing running and I thought I did pretty darn well. And I mapped the thing on the dyno and yeah, I was a bit, you know, lazy was a good word to describe it. A little bit lazy down low. Gutless is a better word. And, but it made good power up top, as they do. You know, the camshafts came into their own from about 5,000 RPM. So from five to seven, you know, it was, it was doing what it should do. But I was uh, doing this for a third party workshop. Serves me right for doing trade work. And they were all happy with the dyno result I gave them. But then the customer drove the car. And the customer's not happy because it doesn't hang off the mark anymore, whatever that means. So I think, uh, translating that to English, it means when he stomps the throttle, before, with the variable cam efficiency and torque of the engine, it would just light the tyres with ease and off it went. Well, now, guess what? It won't do that anymore. Well, this is what happens. But because I had touched the car... The, the, the presumption is, Martin, there's something wrong with the tune. We're bringing this back to you. It won't, it doesn't work properly. So, well, yeah, it does. It does exactly what it's supposed to do, which is fix the cams in position, rob the engine of a ton of low down power and torque and make a little bit up top, a little bit, because then the whole thing was starting to run out of VE or volumetric efficiency anyway. So that's what happens. And all of a sudden, I'm to blame because I touched it when I should have known better in the first place. So the only way to deal with the situation is like this is say, when you put the shit in the motor, it, it works exactly as it's supposed to. Bad luck, right? You can't take on responsibility for things that are out of your control and you never had anything to do with. However, that is the problem, isn't it? The moment we open that laptop, we take on the car and it's since you, since you touched the car, since you did this, it's got a flat tyre. What did you do to it? You know, three three years later, uh, the thing's, you know, uh, needs an oil change. Why? You tuned it. Like, piss off. You know? And I think as, as professionals in this industry and as tuners, we need to be a little bit tougher and lay our cards on the table up front. So anyway, yeah, this, this isn't a great result because it's not what the customer wanted. But the customer didn't actually know what they wanted. So the responsibility sits between the customer nodding his head to the parts and the people that supplied and fitted the parts because you ain't going to make caviar out of cocky shit, right, with just a keyboard. That's a good old Aussie term. Cocky, cocky's a big bird for all my American listeners. Yeah, so that's what happens. So the argument then comes, there'll be some people listening to this and going, uh, Martin, you, you don't mustn't know what you're talking about because a lot of race cars they remove the variable cam timing altogether and run fixed camshafts why do they do that then if it's so good well the answer is quite simple most race cars stop stationary once or twice during a race once when they take off off the line and maybe when they're coming out of the pits and they're speed limited anyway race cars don't need a wide torque band and race cars are generally light too. So they're traction limited in the first place. They don't need a wide torque band and they're geared so that, you know, the operation of the engine 
during a race is in that sweet spot of the camshafts that are picked. So they don't need the complexity and hydraulics and oil feed systems and ECU triggering to try and give efficiency down low. They don't need any of that. And you know, an internal combustion petrol engine is a terribly, terribly inefficient thing. Yeah, that's right, here comes the electric bullshit. Dr. Elon Donnan's here, he's gonna tell you how it is. But seriously, um, adding big camshafts, changing valve events in an engine normally makes a much less efficient down low and plus you're removing all of the hard work the factory had done in the first place to make it even more efficient, you just end up with a bit of a disaster on your hands. So all of you out there that are listening to this that are thinking of doing a cam upgrade in a VCT equipped car, do not listen to those that are telling you that VCT or variable cam timing or VVTI, whatever you want to call it, is there for emissions control only. No, it's not there for emissions control only. Yes, it does help with emissions because the engine becomes a lot more efficient, right? It does help absolutely with emissions, but it also helps with power and bloody torque. Now, the smart operators out there in, in Camweld, you know, one that springs to mind, Kelford Camtech, or I think a New Zealand company, they can make camshafts that work with the variable cam timing actuators and work well. And a lot of the really, really big, fast import cars around that need to get off the line and are pretty heavy with, with engines like VR38s that come with, with variable cam timing, inlet cam only on those, still makes a massive difference as, as we discussed earlier. They run the aftermarket cams with the variable cam timing and they're mappable so you can swing them around and optimize them to your best position. So there you go. There's your lesson for today. Don't, if someone tells you that your engine's gonna be better off for a normal street style application by removing variable cam timing, pick your shit up and run in the opposite direction because they clearly do not know what they are talking about. Yep, you heard it here. And if you wanna quote me, that's fine. I'm happy to be quoted. And if they wanna come on the show, and have an argument with me, then they're more than welcome to do that as well. Now back on to um, the topic that was introduced by my fine friends at NWA with Express Yourself at the start, because I'm getting old and I'm definitely grumpy, I've got a chance to do something I would like at the moment and I'll fill you in um, as we go along and proceed with the project. I've been around a number of or a couple of Lamborghini twin turbo V10 engines over the years. Some of them have been successful. Some of them have been not so successful. A lot of it, or all of it, has not been any of my doing. And it was always a frustrating thing for me. Sure, we've built a lot of fast GDRs and GDRs that have won events, but I've never really been involved with a fast and successful Lamborghini. And it bothers me. So I see other Nimrods out there doing it and you know, slamming boost into these things, going fast, blowing them up. You know, why can't I get in on the fun? Well, I've got a chance. I've been given a clean slate project. I've been given a beautiful um, 2018 Audi R8 V10 with all of the fruit. It's, you know, as everyone that knows cars will know, that is basically a hurricane in the engine department. Actually built a little bit nicer after pulling it apart and having a look at it. 
but I've been given a clean slate. Gareth and I have been given the car and say, you do what you think needs to be done to it to twin turbocharger and make it fast. And we'll just step back and watch and enjoy the end result. How fantastic is that? So yeah, I'm going to do this. And no, I don't want some 2,000 horsepower, fire-breathing piece of shit. Not interested. You know, we put this car on the dyno. It made 500 horsepower at the wheels. Dead standard, normally aspirated. That's awesome. Out of a 5.2 V10. That is just bloody awesome. And it screams along to 8,000 RPM. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful thing. So I want to make about 1,000 at the wheels. And I want to do it without losing any of the factory drivability, especially variable cam timing. And I'm going to do this with the factory ECUs in place. Yeah, the Italians and the Germans on their big supercars still love using primary ECU and slave ECU, like one per bank. You know, it's it's a hangover from BMWs of the late 80s, but seems to work. Um, we're going to do it with the factory ECU. We're going to make this thing absolutely perfect to drive. So stay tuned because I'm going to keep talking about this over the next few epicasts and I think you'll really get some enjoyment out of it. Those of you that follow me um, on Facebook or our company, PowerTech Tuning, will get to see this thing as it's being built. And, you know, a thousand in a nice car like that will just be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we're going to creep up on it. We're just going to open the taps on it. We're not going to take it straight out and race it or do anything dumb like that. We're actually going to enjoy this car as an expression of automotive artwork and hopefully if I have my way which which I've been given it will be perfection and it will show some of the knockers that maybe your fingers were the ones that should have been out of these projects in the first place right speaking of projects successful or not so successful I get a lot of feedback about my mate big Paul Howson isn't he a funny guy lovely guy you know there's nothing bad to say about Paul but he's decided to pull on the other end of the chain. You know, he's a bit of a home tuner these days, and that's a dangerous thing all in itself. And he's got his friend Mark in his ear pushing him along, and that's great. These guys have embarked on a project that is the actual opposite of what we're doing to the Audi. And the opposite of everything I've ever tried to get across to you listeners in these epicasts. He's gone quite mad. And I am going to roast him about it when we next get together. These guys have got a Holden Adventurer, which is a big Gen 3-based LS1 all-wheel drive family wagon. Think the Griswolds with an LS1 in it. And they've bought a $250 copy. G, I think it's called a GT43 or something. So they bought a Wish turbocharger because it's cheap. Yeah, that's right. That's going to end well, isn't it? And they're going to put it on this thing. They're going to turbocharge it. And they're going to run it. But I believe they're building the ultimate bonnet burner because, again, wish turbochargers for $250, if they work at all, and some of them do, allegedly. Yeah, that's right. Some of them work. Wish turbochargers don't normally come with water cooling. So we're going to get all of that nice oil-cooled heat stuffed right up by the front left headlight in the engine bay. We're going to, because it'll be a big and efficient thing, it's going to like make a lot of turbine temperature. It's probably going to have, even though it's got a big turbine housing, it's probably not going to flow very well at all. And we're going to build, or we're going to watch them build 
the ultimate bonnet burner. I've already said subscribe to Bosch. So you've got a set of ignition leads every time you run it. But we haven't talked about what it's going to do to the power steering, potential fires, all of that cool shit that's going to go on from back in the old days. These boys haven't learnt their lesson at all. Or maybe, maybe they're a lot smarter than I think. Well, time's going to tell on that one. And it's going to be hilarious. And Big Paul's going to give his reasonings. And like all good home tuners, I believe, Big Paul, you're going to listen to this, so you're going to get a bit of a bit of a leg up here. I believe what you're going to do is when I'm kicking it into you in a couple of epicast time, you're going to put it in reverse gear and you're going to try to back, oh, it wasn't my idea, you know, backpedal, you're going to ride backwards at a million miles an hour. Wasn't really my idea. I really didn't have that much to do to it. I was just following orders. I was just doing what I was told. Yeah, we've all heard that before over history and look how that worked out for them. Yes, no names being mentioned. So, that was an interesting epicast today, especially interesting that I was held up in traffic and it's going to be a little bit noisier than it was. But hey, we've got some great stuff coming up. We're going to proceed and progress with the challenges that the Audi presents us, which hopefully are not too many. It's got a beautiful ETS precision-based turbocharger kit on it. And we're going to follow Big Paul. So thank you for listening. Send me your feedback to dtech, D-T-E-C-H, at S-E-N-E-T dot com dot A-U. And thank you for listening to Range Anxiety.